I have a son who was born in Ethiopia around 2007. And so the fact that he loves 80s and 90s music and his two all-time favorite athletes are Deion Sanders and Michael Jordan, who he never saw either one of them play, doesn't make any sense. And even as I was preparing this sermon and I typed out those words right there, I walked into my house and this son was cleaning and getting ready to go somewhere and on uh, Spotify, Michael Jackson was playing. And then Montel Jordan, of all things, comes on. I didn't even listen to that music in the 80s and 90s. And then the other night we were coming home from somewhere and Spotify hit the artist Prince. And at that moment, I looked at Jonah, who is the son, and I said, Jonah, this isn't my music. This has to be your music. How is this playing in my truck? And you may ask, how in the world did, does that happen? Has no connection to that time period, no preference in any way, how does that happen, that he would be so immersed into that music and into that time and uh, into sports teams during that time? He's constantly watching highlights of Deion Sanders and Michael Jordan. Well, the reality is he's lived with me for 14 years, and those things come up. The music I listened to when I was a kid and when I was in high school, and he's kind of latched onto it, and he's made that his music even so, more so than it was mine during that time. A lot of folks ask me, why do your kids like the Atlanta Braves? Why do they cheer for the Dallas Cowboys? Why are they Tennessee fans? They never lived in Tennessee. Why are they, some of them, even more passionate about those teams than I am? I mean, how did you get them to like your teams? And the reality is, I didn't get them to do anything. That, that's just what we do in our house. There's certain things that we do in our house, the way that we talk, the things that we like, our entertainment, things that we give ourselves over to, and they enjoy those things, and they have embraced those things. Why? Because they live with us. Because we live together. And we are involved in one another's lives and our preferences cross the line sometime and we enjoy the other person's preference that we live with and we become passionate about the same things. In John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching his disciples this very thing. He tells them there's going to be things that you're going to want to do in the world, that the world is going to be scandalized. Why would you live that way? Why would you talk that way? Why would you love that way? And the only answer is because you're going to live with me. You're going to live with me even after Jesus dies, is raised from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God as disciples. Even here today in this moment, he calls us to continue to live with him. 
And in living with him, you're going to be passionate about some things. Your desires are going to change. And specifically, your prayer life will change. In John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching us about this union with him. And he uses, I, I believe, one of the most powerful images in all of the Bible as he talks about our relationship with him. And it is the image of the vine and branches. And Jesus is declaring, I am the vine. And there's some Old Testament allusion here. He is replacing the, the vineyard of Israel that did not bear fruit, love for God and love for others. He is the new vine. And as branches, we are grafted into him. We are connected to him by faith. And connected to him, his life produces a certain kind of life in us. So much so that he will say, if you don't have this kind of life, the life he desires for us, you're not connected to me. And you will wither and you will die. What powerful imagery in this section of Scripture. But notice verse 7 when he talks about the way living with him will change our prayer life. Notice verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, first of all, I want you to know the if it's contingent. If you are abiding in me, something is going to happen. If you abide, the word abide means to live or dwell. And some people translate it remain. If you remain in me, because that communicates this continual intimacy remaining with him, staying with him, that we will continue to have after we believe in him, after we trust in him. But notice he says, if you abide, if you live in me. Now we know the gospel is this. When we believe in Jesus's death for our sins, his death becomes our death. We are in him. We are crucified in him. When we believe in him, his righteousness is credited to our account and we are covered in his righteousness. We are in him. This is the theology that Paul teaches so powerfully about what it means to positionally be in Jesus. And we're not loved like Jesus was loved. We are loved as Jesus is loved, in Jesus. And so he says, if you believe in me, you are in me. You are connected to me. You are united to me by faith. And what he's going to explain here is when you are in him, abiding in him, living in him, there's something experientially that begins to happen. So by faith, we are positionally in him. And then something begins to happen in our life, something we begin to experience even in our prayer life. Notice, if you abide in me. Now, how do we do that? 
Well, when we believe the gospel, as we just talked about, the Spirit takes the Word of God and it it plants it in our hearts. And we are in Christ, but His Word is in us. And this is how we are connected as branches to the vine. His teaching, His commands are in us. They remain in us and they begin to change us. How does that happen? Well, the whole context of chapter 14, 15, 16, and even into 17 Jesus is explaining how the Spirit does that for us. Jesus dies. He is resurrected. He ascends to the right hand. And then he promises in John chapter 14, when that happens, I'm going to send my Spirit to you, and you will continue to live with me by the presence of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit takes the Word of God, implants it in our hearts, The Spirit is also called the encourager, which means He walks beside us, teaching us the Word of God, how to hear, how to obey, how to apply the Word of God to our life. And so He says, if you are in me and my words are abiding in you, meaning you are living by the Spirit according to the Word of God, this is what it means to abide, living by the Spirit, according to the Word of God, as those who are in Christ by faith. Now, what happens when you are living that way? What goes on in your life? Notice as the verse continues. If you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Now, let's stop there. Because we don't need to minimize this audacious invitation to ask the Father. If you are a child of God, through Jesus, God literally says, ask of me whatever you want. Ask of me whatever you want. If you are living in me and my words are living in you, ask. And as we move through this topic of prayer, some of us have to be motivated just to ask. We're ashamed to ask for certain things. We're scared to ask for certain things. We don't know if we're supposed to ask for certain things. And this verse frees us up. Ask whatever you want. The Father knows what you want. Ask. Ask whatever you want. But then notice what he says here. And it will be done for you. Now before we move on, we also don't want to minimize this promise. God really does answer our prayers. He really does Give us what we want. He really does answer the desires of our heart. And we have to lean into that. And we have to believe that. Some of us are scared to pray for what we want because we think it makes God look bad when we always don't get it. (laughs) But stop here and just know you can ask for what you want. And notice the promise, and it will be done for you. Now, what does that mean? Well, the promise isn't 
be good, obey, and God will give you what you want, whatever you want. Notice again, if you are abiding in Christ, if you are living in him, and what happens when you are living in Christ or living with Christ, you will begin to know what he wants. And those will become the desires of your heart. That will become the desire of your heart. And in your prayer life, you will begin to ask God for what you want, knowing it is what He wants. And what is going to be done in the world? Everything God wants. His will will be done. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so what happens as you are abiding in Christ, in the word of God, living by the spirit, God begins to shape your desires and your prayer life is saturated with his wants because they are what you want. And you begin to look around and you see God accomplishing what you want because it's what God wants. You see, the reality, my kids in my house aren't going to walk up to me today and say, Dad, can I lay around all day and watch YouTube videos? Now, if they ask me that, it's going to be a joke. Because they know I'm going to say, absolutely not. They're not going to come into my house and say, can I start wearing crimson and say, roll tie? Not happening. I know that's bad news for some of you here today. Now if they say, hey, I want to watch baseball. Yep, probably do that. I'd like to mow the yard today. Get out there and do that. Got to do it last week. Do it this week. But our kids know what to ask us for. And they know what we're going to help them with. Because they know what we want for their life. And it's one of the the glorious things we're beginning to see in some of our older kids' life. They grew up in our home. They know the things that we value. They know the things that we desperately want for their life. And they come to us and they ask us about those things. What, What about this job? What about this book? Should I read this book? They ask us about their life, relationships, all of those things. They are beginning to ask us things according to the values we have instilled in them. And Jesus says that's the same thing that happens in your prayer life. As you are living with Christ, he imprints what he wants on your heart. And you begin to come to him and ask him, Lord, help me do that. Lord, help me live in that way. Two verses that I always go to when people are trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. I have these decisions to make in my life. How do I do it? The first one is Psalm 37, 4. Look at that verse with me. Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, That doesn't mean delight yourself in the Lord and he's going to give you every single thing that you ever ask him for. No, it's as you are delighting in him, he changes the desires of your heart. 
And so you know what he desires for your life. And you begin to ask for that. And you begin to live according to the desires that God has for you. In Romans chapter 12, usually we talk about verses 1 and 2, but look at verse 2. Romans 12 verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world. If you are being conformed to the world, you're going to be asking things of God and even of others that the world values. You're going to want those things. But he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That happens by walking with the Spirit, by the Spirit, according to the Word of God. And then what happens? Notice the verse, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What that means is, as you are having your mind and heart and life transformed by the word of God, you begin to prove what the will of God is in your life. Why? Because you desire it. Because you want it. Because you're being transformed by it. What is good and what is acceptable. This is how you determine what God wants for your life. Is you dig into the word of God. You open up your Bible and you see this glorious story that God is unfolding in the world where Jesus will be king and we will serve him as his people from every tribe, every nation, forever and ever. And you see this glorious story and how he is folding your life into it. And you plug into that in the word of God. And what happens in your life? You desire to fulfill that. You desire to be a part of it. When we go before the Word of God, it's not as though some mystical lightning bolt of revelation changes everything. And we go, boom, now I know. And it's not as though we go before the Word of God and say, what does God want me to do? And we walk away just miserable. Oh, no. I don't want to do this. No, what happens when we're in the Word of God is our desires change. And that is how God leads us and guides us according to our desires. And sometimes obeying him is really, really hard. It's not easy. But we know that's what we're supposed to do. And then we begin to want to do that. That's how God works in our hearts. And that's what it means to abide and live with him. And here, what, 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 what we see is the culmination of those desires wanting what God wants for for our career, wanting what God wants with our finances, wanting what God wants with our life. It's not just we are doing those things. We begin to ask in our prayer life. It is the culmination of those desires. God, help me do what you want. God, you have given me that desire And is it expressed in prayer? That's why Jesus says, ask whatever you want. Because it's what God wants if you're abiding with him. And he will accomplish it in and through you. He will accomplish it living with you. What a powerful way to think about living with Christ and how he changes our desires and how they overflow in our prayer life. Abiding with Christ Abiding with Jesus changes our desires and then it changes our prayer life. But I want I have one more point. As we think about our desires changing, we think about our prayer life changing, we think about asking for what God wants in our life. Jesus gets really specific in this chapter about what God wants. 
So if you were to say today, what should my chief prayer request be? We're learning how to pray. What should move to top of the list in my prayer life? Today, when I leave here today, what is the number one thing I'm going to pray for? What is the number one thing in light of this verse that I'm going to want? Well, look at verse 10 of chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And this is a theme through this whole section. Abiding in the love of God, it leads to us loving God. Eventually it leads to us loving others. If we are abiding in God's love, we're going to keep His commandments. As we keep His commandments, we abide and and we are secure in His love. We're producing the fruit of love because we are attached to love, the vine. And so notice as we get all the way down to verses 12 through 14 in chapter 15, what is this command? All through this section, back to chapter 14, keep my word, keep my commandments, live in me and you will keep my commandments, abide in my love and you will keep my commandments. Notice verse 12, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. That's what you're going to want to do if you're abiding in Jesus. Is you're going to want to love one another as he has loved you. Notice the verse continues. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you love In this section, Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, you're going to love. What is the thing that you will want to do that you will ask Jesus to help you do that will be done for you? Love. Love. In verse 17, he says, these things I command you so that you would love one another. Love is the fruit that naturally grows from the vine who is Jesus, to love like him. That is what you will want to do if you are connected to him, if you are abiding in him. You will want to love like Jesus loves, and you will ask, God, help me. That will be your chief prayer request, because you want to be like Jesus, because you're living with him, and you'll say, help me love And here Jesus says, when you pray that, it will be done. He will help you in loving if you are abiding in him. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the book of 1 John is about this. You you don't even know if you're a Christian if you can't love your brother. And if you don't love your brother, the love of God isn't in you. John writes another book about that. Because this so affected him. And he says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Notice that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, again, this audacious invitation, ask him according to his will. He hears you and he will answer. He says, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. Ask anything according to his will. What is it? 
Ask to love others the way he has loved you. Love is a commitment to another person's good no matter what. Now, you probably thought, oh, he's going to give us some, you probably didn't think this. Let's just, he's going to give us some gimmick to pray and get what we want, to name it and claim it, to be healthier, wealthier, more prosperous. I know you didn't think that about me. In some of our minds, that would be more amazing than what he's saying here. In some of our minds, we want that, those things. Some of us are disappointed. Love? That's what he wants us to ask for? Some of us are scared to death because you know people in your life, if you were honest, You hate their guts. And if you start praying this, and God answers it, what is that going to mean for you? That's why this is so amazing. Because as Christians, we have been loved by Christ in this amazing, radical way. We were his enemies. And he gave his life for us while we were still in our sin. He died for his enemies. And he turns around and says, that's what you're going to do in the world. Love is at the heart of your sanctification. Because he wants you to mimic and be like Jesus and reflect that radical love even for your enemies. To bless those who persecute you. To serve those whom you by nature would hate. And you're saying today, how in the world? That's why he says pray. Because you can't do it on your own. The reality is, you can't love anyone without Jesus. You can't. Apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, as you try to love others, there's always going to be a tinge of selfishness. There are going to be props. There are going to be tools for you to use. You're going to be bartering. You love me this way, I'll love you that way. That's not love. Love is a commitment to another person's good no matter what. And Jesus has displayed what that is on the cross. And that's why he says to his disciples here, apart from me, you can do nothing. Very specifically, apart from me, you can't love anyone. You can't do it. The reality is our sin turns us so inward that we need a miracle to release us from ourselves. A miracle of the Holy Spirit in this whole section. He says the Spirit is going to come and it's going to help you. What's he going to help you do? Love like Jesus loves. And the love Jesus has displayed is so counter to the world around us. And it's counter to who we are. That it takes a miracle to get us to love the way Jesus loves. And he says, ask and it will be done. How amazing is that? When I preach sermons on love, forgiveness, and mercy, we get the most feedback. And it's always questions people ask. But what if? What if? What if? What if? Do you know this happened? And there's always this barrier. I don't know if I can love that person. Because it seems impossible. 
Because it is. Apart from Christ. This is why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Does that just mean a hard life? Suffering generically? No. What did Jesus do with his cross? He loved you. If you want to follow me, take up a cross and get ready to love others. Your worst enemies, get ready to love them. It's what Jesus has done for us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do as the nails went through his arms. It's what he's calling you to do. You can't do it apart from him. And here, this is an audacious claim. Some of you would rather me be talking about the health, wealth gospel at this moment. Here is an audacious claim that I believe on the, based on the authority of the word of God. You can't love anyone without Jesus, but you can love anyone with Jesus. You can love anyone with Jesus. I believe that. And I know in this room right now, there are absolutely horrible circumstances. And there are hearts that are cold and hard and you don't want to love. I know that. I know you. And I know the situations. And you're saying, how in the world can I love that person? You can love anyone with Jesus. That is the promise of verse 7. If you are abiding in me, ask him and he will make it happen. He will give you the desires to love that person. He will give you the commitment to love that person. It won't be easy. It will be hard. But he will abide with you in it. You can love anyone with Jesus. And so if you're saying today, I can't. My question to you is, are you abiding in him? Are you living according to the word of God by the spirit of God because he'll change your desires? I believe it with all my heart. I can't. Let me ask you to change the way that you pray for that person because some of you are praying for that person that is so hard to love and you are praying this, God, change them. God, change them. I don't like the way they are. Change them. Let's start praying this way. God, change me. God, help me love them no matter if they ever change. Help me to love them no matter what, because that's the way you've loved me. What if you started praying that way? You see, this week I I opened up my, I had the perfect sermon and maybe for how the word of God should, should lead us in the way that we pray, and when we do the Lord's table today, Clay and Eric are going to model how to pray through the scripture, how you should do that, and it was perfect, and I got in this text, and I was like, whoa, this isn't just about prayer and the word, this is about prayer and love, and I began about midweek just to start praying, God, help me love this person. There were conflicts in my own life, and I naturally began to say, God, help me love Help me to love. And I realized this is the best prayer for my wife and kids. They they probably thought around Thursday, what happened? Did you get saved again? Because I just started looking at them and said, God, help me love them. Help me love them. And it changed the way that I saw other people this week. And that's what I wanted to bring before you today. What if we just started praying, God, help me love this person like Jesus? I believe we would see an amazing outpouring of the Spirit here. 
Our desires would change. Our witness in this community would change. It would mean scary circumstances and opportunity for you and conviction in your life. I know it. I was talking to a friend this week, and they confessed to me. They said they were going through a time in their marriage that was really, really hard. They were praying about it, and God said, no, you have to love your spouse no matter what. You ain't leaving. You're going to love them. And they said to me, it was as though I had died because that was the last thing I ever wanted to do was love my spouse. And then they said, but God was like a physician who nursed me back to life and over time gave me desires to love them again. And that is the miracle that Jesus is talking about here. Ask, and it will be done. Are you scared to ask for love? Election season's coming up. Lord, help me love the one across the aisle. Help me love them. Conflicts in church. Help me love. What if we just walked around here? Help me love. I don't, I don't care if I get my way or not. Help me love your spouse. Maybe it's a difficult time. Help me love them. Your kids, they're hard to love. Help me love them. Maybe there's lost people that you work around. Help me love them. God, help me love them. And if you are here today and you say, I just can't. Scandalous enough, Jesus has been in that same spot. In the garden, let this cup from, pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Head it to the cross to love you. Jesus had a moment where it weighed on his soul. I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass. His desires are before the Father. The wrath of God is going to be unleashed. I don't want to do it. But abiding with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, he left saying, not my will, but your will be done. And prayer saved your soul. What about the people in your life that you're saying right now, let this cup pass for me? What might God do in your life and their life if you just started praying, your will be done? Longing for his will. Thank the Father that he answers prayers to love because we have the cross. And yet today, asking to love will only make sense if you're living with Jesus.